All right, everybody, shalom, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from the beautiful holy city of Hebron. That's right, I'm in my office in Hebron right now, and uh, it's been a very busy summer. Thank Hashem, thank Hashem. There's so many people here and so many things to, to get done, so I'm really thankful uh, for, the, uh, for the busyness, but at the same time, not always easy to put out a radio show, but I am dedicated to do that. And in fact, even though uh, uh, quite busy and, and barely got a chance to sit down here in my office right now and, and record this, I still have a great show for you, uh, in part because I got to do an awesome interview with the famous Jewish singer Avram Fried here in Hebron, who was uh, with me yesterday for a full day of uh, video shooting, and you'll hear more about that in a minute. And we also have uh, our, our very own uh, Rabbi Shimshon Nadel on a very hot topic uh, ben Bresky uh, on a very interesting topic, but but interestingly, there's a lot of music at this week's show. So Ben Bresky's at the Acharit Hayamim festival concert, speaks to top musicians. I got Avram Fried, <clears throat> and then um, I guess another musical thing is Rabbi Shimshon Nadel who's talking about musical chairs. That is, when are you supposed to sit next to a woman? According to Jewish law, if you're a man in the airplane or on the bus. And when you're supposed to get up, that those issues, and the reason we're tackling those issues is because that's been in the news recently with an Israeli reporter making a big uh, 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 stink about having uh, being asked to move a chair, and that turns out the story might be partially fraudulent or totally fraudulent, but in any case, uh, an interesting discussion with Rabbi Shimshon Nadel. And then finally, um, I'm together with uh, my friend Yinon Kahati. Uh, who's the founder of the Habayit, the home organization, which tries to make uh, resolutions with the um, Arab-Palestinian so-called population, uh, but from a nationalist Jewish perspective. And he interviewed me together with uh, Flor Hassan, who is the deputy mayor of Jerusalem. So that's a very interesting discussion that I promise you, you will really like. So can't, you know, can't hold you back any further uh, if you love the great Avram Freed, uh, I'm a big fan of Avram Freed, and I had a chance to spend the whole day yesterday, and here's the story um, of why, as we're driving down to a great video shoot, uh, me and uh, the great singer Avram Freed. All right, folks, Ishai Fleischer here, and I'm traveling southbound from Yerushalayim to beautiful Hebron uh, with my favorite driver, Yitzchak, in his fine vehicle. Uh, and we have a very special, I have a very special guest today, and that is uh, the one and only great singer, great songwriter, uh, and great um, personality of the Jewish world, Avram Fried. Avram Fried, wow, that's like, you know, I've told very few people that, that you're coming with me today, that I'm coming with you today, and people got very excited, including Yitzchak, our driver, who asked you for a selfie. Uh, Avram, Reb Avram, Rabbi Avram, uh, that's good, okay, thank you. Um, you're on the way to Hebron. Tell me what you're thinking. It's been a while since I've been to Hebron. I mean, I had so many concerts there right outside Marasa Machpela. Memories come back singing Avraham Yagel Yitzchak Yiranen right outside the walls of Marasa Machpela. Quite, uh, quite amazing. Um, looking forward to having a wonderful, uh, wonderful day with you there today. It's a shame. And we are going to be telling a story of uh, a, a property. Today, you, you, have, you have hats. You have hats, but you also have a black hat. That black hat is a Chabad hat. And today, we are telling a Chabad story. We're telling the story of ownership of property by the Lubavitcher Rebbe's plural. Three Lubavitcher Rebbe's who held on to a piece of property in Hebron. Yes. 
And and the thing is, when you, when you when you go to Chabad houses, when you speak to Chabad rabbis, Hebron's deep in their hearts. Not just because of the forefathers and mothers, but also because of the history of, of Chabad and Hebron. Yes, it's having a piece of uh, property in the Holy Land, and Hebron's one of the uh, one of the lands where you say Irakoidish, right? So uh, Chabad, I think you know, uh, got its foothold in there as part of being, uh, you know. Um, Living in the land, living in the land of Eretz Yisrael, and, and uh, moving there and having a yeshiva there, and, and it's just incredible that uh, we have this opportunity to tell this story. I think it'll be amazing. And by the way, I think Yishai, most people don't know about the history of uh, this this particular history we're trying to bring to them today, and we'll tell them the story clearly and succinctly, and they'll they'll understand what's going on here. Yes, we have written out a script for you, and you're going to tell a great story about a piece of property that was bought and then taken over by the Turks and taken over by the Brits and the Jordanians and then even even the Israelis didn't exactly release it to us too quickly and finally finally we got it back now we're developing uh, uh, apartments there and there's a beautiful yeshiva there and 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 we have the big schut of having you come and tell a story today um, I don't interview a lot of singers <laughs> um, you know I deal with politics and Torah and stuff like that I'm actually a storyteller today <laughs> right. I'm becoming a storyteller so you're, inter- you're interviewing a storyteller okay <laughs> Uh, but I do have one song that I wanted to ask you about. Um, there, you have many songs. I am, I am actually, not fakely, a fan. Um, and um, but there is one song that really gets it. Do you have, what's your guess? What's the song oh, that does it for me? Come on. Well, I let let me guess. Uh, Hebron Shelley. Okay, that's a great that's a great song, of course, and that's a that's like a theme song right. of, of of our lives, uh, you know, to do with Hebron. But there's another song. What do you think? You gotta give me a hint. I got a few songs out there. You gotta give me a little hint. You have a lot of good songs English? out there. Is it in English? No, it's in Hebrew. Uh, no, no, it's like, in Hebrew. Like a Ivrit, or it's a from from the from the Tfilah or from uh, from Tanakh. It's Ivrit. It's Ivrit. Yeah. Uh, probably a Lekatan or uh, uh, what else does it have in Ivrit? Uh, gotta help me out here. All right. It's well. I, I didn't think you'd guess it, because, but but I want you to know that this song is like for me like a like a life theme song. In Ivrit. What else could it be? A Lekatan, Jack Tfilah. Do I have? Those are all good. Okay. There's Achim Vanefesh. Oh, Achim Vanefesh. Nice. I love ah, that song. A great song. Tell me a little bit about that song. How did that come about? There's a very talented uh, songwriter, composer here in Eretz Yisrael called Udi Damari. And um, he sent me a few songs back in the day. One of them is Pashut Nashim, which is a great song. And one of the songs was Achim Vanefesh. And I, I loved his songs from the first get go. And um, on my Israeli album, which was called Kamatov Shaniv Gashnu, uh, his songs basically crowned, you know, uh, uh, the, the the album. And Achim uh, Ben great great beat, great great feel, and a great message, Achim Ben because we are, you know, Am Yisrael is our Achim Ben So that's the song that you like. Okay, good to know. That's good to know. I love that song, and I was like, if I'm ever going to run for office here in Israel, yeah. I'll be like, I'm going to use that it's one. A theme song. That would yeah. be great. Achim Nefesh. Nice. I like that. It's a beautiful song. Really, it is. And it also, it also has uh, great, great music. Now, now, yes. part of your career is you are a charismatic singer and and all that, but but there's a musical, a musical back to your, to your shows and your music. It's, I'm I'm trying to say. There's big band, lots of equipment, lots of like what a thirty you know musicians behind you. Sometimes, are you like what is that whole arrangement? Who who does that? How does that come about? That's my uh, that's my team that I have here in Eretz Yisrael. Great great 
uh, talented people who uh, know what know what they're doing, and they put on a show. People walk out of a show. They get a they get a full menu of shemia and ria. It's seeing, it's hearing, it's it's sounds and and video clips, and uh, you walk out of there. You've you've been transported for two hours to a different place, and uh, hopefully you're inspired when you leave. And um, it, it, it it's an amazing production. Quite, I think. Here in Eretz Yisrael, I would say are the most my best productions because this is this is where the guys know what they're doing. Really, that's surprising. And last night you played for two and a half thousand bachrim. Yes, uh, we started the concert at one o'clock in the morning, finished at three. Yeah, uh, but for a, for a singer, this kind of crowd is a singer's dream because once I open my mouth, they're singing along with me. You know, so it's like I did half the work. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> But I did have to work last night, and they did the rest, and um, just just uh, incredible to hear the walls of Benyanei Uma reverberating with the voices of two and a half thousand Bacharim singing all these beautiful songs, and it was very special. Um, I also noticed that one of the things that you've done in the last few years is that you've brought in a lot of... Uh other acts, Israeli acts, other 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 performers onto the stage, sang with them. Uh, I think you did that famous song with um, what's his name? No, uh, Aviv, Geffen. Aviv Geffen. That's right, Aviv Geffen, who's and he used to be an icon of the hard anti-religious Israeli left. He's changed his tune, shall we say? Well, I have sung with many, many, many other Israeli Shlomo singers. Shabbat. Uh, almost. Oh, we had a show that didn't work out, but uh, we were in touch. We're friends. Um, Avi Geffen, of course, made the most noise because Avi Geffen. So he was—he he gets most of the uh, most of the noise. But uh, again, this is my team here in Eretz Yisrael, namely Yuval Stupel, my musical uh, manager. Um, it was his idea that music can be a bridge of achdut and achim banefesh with singers who are, you know, a little different than I. But music brings us together, and it's been a great kid Hashem, especially with Aviv Geffen. People see me, oh, Mashatao say, Aviv Geffen's a Kiddush Hashem, like they're, they're just blown away. And uh, I'm in touch with Aviv Geffen, and he's a very interesting fellow. And um, like I said, through music, we can, we can build bridges and bring people together. And that's exactly about what we're doing. So is there a shtickel, um Shlichus? Is, are you on, is your musical career a shlichus, like a Rebbe shlichus, like a, other people have a you know, Chabad house in Palo Alto? Is that, is that what you're doing? It's much more than a shtickle. It's, uh, it's the whole, it, that, 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 is, that is it. Um, I feel blessed that uh, I have this opportunity to be a roaming shliach and bring the Rebbe's messages through song uh, to the world. Maybe there's some places where a Chabad shliach can't even, you know, set a foot in there uh, like I said through music walls come down um, inspiration comes up and suddenly we feel united and it's very humbling very humbling tremendous schus uh, well it's a little humbling for me I try not to be too humble but it's a little bit humbling for me uh, to be in the car with you today and head oh, down to Chevron <laughs> speaking of humbling we're looking at these soldiers hanging out here uh, on the side of the road making sure that we're safe and we're almost at Kiryat Arba, and traffic. with traffic, of course, we have some traffic, but we're pretty close already to Kiryat Arba. Any minute now, we'll make that turn. Uh, and we're on what I call the Biblical Highway, Route Biblical 60. Highway. Beautiful name. So I uh, imagine by the Marat today, we'll be busy. Today, uh, we expect thousands of people. 
uh, to come because we have one of the 10 days a year that the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs is open fully to, uh, to all parts of it, including the tombs or the markers of Yitzchak and Rivka, Isaac and Rebecca. Uh, there's a hall that is usually controlled by the Muslims. And today it's open, and that's one of the 10 days a year. And so people come from all over the country. And there's a minhag also to come, especially Erev Rosh Chodesh Elul, the new month of Elul, which is the pre-month to the high holidays, to the Rosh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot holidays. And so today is a, is a big day, and it was, quote-unquote, coincidental that you should come. Uh, and you are also a Kohen. Uh, that means you're from the priestly tribe. And so uh, not some Kohenim don't go in, but most do. Uh, but I'm excited to have you come to Ulam Yitzchak. Have you ever been to the Hall of Yitzchak oh, and Rivka? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. And this will be very, very special because I have some people to daven for. And uh, so I'm looking forward to a few minutes uh, being able to daven there. And uh, yeah, and see some good news after all the prayers are answered. And your name is Avraham, so that's also a thing? Yep, yep. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's really, really <laughs> exciting. I hope, I'm sure it'll go well because it's for Hebron. It's for a great cause, building Hebron like never before, and uh, I'm humbled to be uh, part of this team. Uh, and you're 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 right, Avram Fried. Uh, it is humbling to be part. Of, to me, sometimes people, I am a lot less well known than you are, but in my circles, I'm relatively well known. People say to me, Isha, you're famous. I say to yes. them, I say to them, no, I work for famous people though. I work for uh, Avram and Sarah, Yitzchak Rivka, Yaakov. Their names will will continue onwards, and Hashem remembers. Even even Hashem says in the book of Shemot, it says that that's my name, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is my name. I call myself that. That's pretty. That's huge. We say it in Davening. Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Yeah, it's uh, that is pretty amazing. And the mothers are there, and uh, what a place to be able to daven there. And um, like I said, let's let's do it. All right, folks, Ishai Fleischer, uh, uh, lucky to be with Avram Fried and our great driver Yitzchak going southbound towards Hebron for a very special day. All right, folks, that was Avram Fried. What a special man. I got to tell you, that was recorded before the 12-hour grueling day of video uh, taping. I guess we don't tape anymore, but video filming. Uh, we don't film anymore either because it's not film or tape, right? Uh, so videoing, I guess, uh, of my time with, uh, with Avram Fried. Uh, he is a man who puts out tremendously amazing content, healthy content for your mind. And if you haven't heard him, uh, then I think that we can ask uh, our very own Ben Bresky to stick in actually the song that I was talking about on the interview with Avram Fried. And that song is called Achim Banefesh. Shanimimkan, Rabbe Haftachatakel, Ba Avaru Vahove, Ba 
Benefesh by Avram Fried, one of my favorite, favorite songs uh, of his. And I hope you enjoyed that as well. Um, good content is so important, and that's why I so recommend that you ingest good media content like JNS.org and JewishPress.com. JNS.org. These are two Israeli-Jewish websites, but they're different. And so I recommend you check out both. JNS.org. You'll see the difference when you check them out, and you'll find the style that you like. But they're both high-quality content from the land of Israel of what's really happening. So JNS.org and JewishPress.com. I also recommend checking out the land of Israel by going to KosherCycleTours.com. And there you can get on a bicycle in the land with kosher food, with style, uh, and really see things uh, with an expert and have an amazing trip. So that's KosherCycleTours.com. And also you probably need to uh, build a custom-built itinerary and make sure that every detail of your trip is, is set out. So check out uh, my good friend Mo Kaplan uh, at Kaplan Custom Tours, Mo Kaplan at gmail.com. That's M-O Kaplan at gmail.com. And I also, uh, to just this morning, dealt with some money uh, change currency issues. And I highly recommend that you try working with Yossi uh, at uh, Change86. And that's Yossi, Change86 at gmail.com, Y-O-S-S-I, Change86 at gmail.com. If you have a problem finding any of these, <clears throat> excuse me, you can always write me an email, Yishai, YishaiFleischer.com, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. All right. Uh, so you get on an airplane, and uh, there's a lady sitting next to you. Is that a problem in Judaism or not? Uh, are you supposed to, you know, rub shoulders, literally? 
uh, with the opposite sex? These are these are questions that may you know for some of you may seem like really that's an issue, and then for other ones uh, know that it it may be an issue. It really depends on on on, on who you are. But there's nobody like Rabbi Shimshon Nadel, Shimshon Akoa Nadel, who is willing, or Shimshon Nadel Akohen, who's willing to engage these halachic issues and help us understand the issues of our time. Instead of being like, oh, those people are crazy, uh, Rabbi Shimshon's helping us really understand uh, what the Torah thinks about this. What's Das Torah, right? What's the thought of Torah uh, on this issue? Take it away, Rabbi Shimshon. Shalom Yishai. On Tuesday, Israeli journalist Maria Krauss posted to X, formerly Twitter, that she was yelled at and humiliated by a crew member on a United Airlines flight from New York to Tel Aviv because she had refused to switch seats and accommodate ultra-Orthodox male passengers refusing to sit next to a woman. The story was quickly picked up by the media, but early Wednesday morning, her claims came under scrutiny as footage emerged of the man seen in Krauss's original post explaining that he had asked politely before taking off his cap to reveal his kippah, which caused her to become enraged and make false claims of discrimination. Unfortunately, those of us who travel frequently are quite familiar with the following scene. Delayed departures as the cabin crew attempts to accommodate passengers who refuse to sit next to women, claiming that Jewish law does not allow for it. But is it indeed prohibited for a man to sit next to a woman, according to Jewish law? It is prohibited for a man to touch a woman who is not his wife, who is forbidden to him, in the context of forbidden relationships, the Torah in Vayikra 18, Leviticus chapter 18 instructs, do not come close to uncovering erva, nakedness. According to the Rambam, it is a Torah prohibition to even come close through affectionate touching. The Ramban disagrees and concludes that the nature of this prohibition is only rabbinic, a fence around the Torah to prevent sin. However, the type of touching that is prohibited is limited to touching out of affection or desire, touching which provides gratification. Unintentional or incidental contact is not prohibited. Asked if one may travel on a crowded subway or bus during rush hour when men and women are pressed up against one another and physical contact is almost unavoidable, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein ruled that it is indeed permissible as, quote, this is not the way of desire and affection. Rabbi Feinstein continues and advises those concerned that unavoidable contact may lead them to impure thoughts to fill their minds with Torah thoughts instead. Similar rulings are found in the rulings and response of Rabbi Ovadia Hedaya and Rabbi, Moshe, Rabbi Menashe Klein. In a 2011 interview, when asked about separate Mahadran bus lines, Rabbi Avraham Yosef, chief rabbi of Cholon, called separate seating buses, quote, unnecessary. Accordingly, one may sit next to a member of the opposite sex on a flight, any physical contact is unintentional and incidental, and therefore not prohibited. Rabbi Shmuel Halevi Vosner, however, is stringent. Concerned that contact, even unintentional, could lead to impure thoughts, he rules that it is preferable to stand rather than sit next to a woman on public transportation. Those who want to be stringent 
and avoid sitting next to a member of the opposite sex, can stand during the flight, excluding takeoff and landing, of course, or purchase a seat in business class or first class where they will have plenty of room for themselves. Stringency and personal piety should never come at the expense of someone else or create a chilul Hashem, a desecration of God's name. As Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato writes in his classic work of Jewish ethics, Mesilat Yisharim, quote, one who seeks to be truly pious must weigh all of his actions in relation to their outcome and in relation to all of the accompanying circumstance, the time, social environment, setting, situation, and place. And if refraining from an act will produce a greater sanctification of the name of heaven and greater satisfaction before him than doing the act, he should refrain and not do so. Those causing flight delays and making passengers and crew members uncomfortable should consider how their stringent behavior impacts others and be stringent in the mitzvah of loving their fellow as themselves. Wishing all of the listeners blessings from Jerusalem. All right, we're back, Rabbi Shimshon Nadel. That was awesome. Thank you so much for tackling the tough issues of our time. Rabbi Shimshon rocks it. Okay, there are many good folks that make this show happen. Uh, the folks that go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai help fund the show. You make a difference in you, my life. You put a smile on my face. Is that worth it for you to just put a smile on my face? Because I know it's worth it for me to put a smile on your face. If you're smiling right now, just give that little smile. You made my day because I was like, I got a friend of mine to smile. Okay, great. And nothing puts a smile on my face like the Jewish community of Hebron where I am right now looking at the Avram Avinu Synagogue. Uh, this place is kept strong by people like you through Hebron Fund, hebronfund.org. Uh, it's a, um, an amazing organization that keeps this town beautiful, safe, and, and visited by tourists. Check out our tours as well, hebronfund.org forward slash tour. And of course, check out going to the Temple Mount as well, highontheheart.com. They will, they will help you get that spiritual suntan that I'm always talking about. There's nothing like going up on the Temple Mount, highontheheart.com. Okay. With no further ado, let's get a little bit more music, right? So we did, uh, Avram Fried music, then we did musical chairs, with Rabbi Shimshon Akoyin Adel and our very own Ben Bresky. Uh, he used to have a great show on Arut Sheva called Ben Bresky's The Beat, or The Beat with Ben Bresky. I was very proud to, uh, to have uh, host that show at Arut Sheva, Israel National Radio. Uh, and Ben Bresky continues with that, with that tradition and went to the Acharit Ayamim concert and spoke to great musicians about their music uh, here in the land of Israel and the spirituality and the meaning and, and the tunes uh, behind, behind the music. Here's Ben Bresky. This is a moment in Jewish history. The Aharit Hayamim festival takes place every year in the Gush Etzion region, south of Jerusalem. I attended this year and will be sharing interviews with some of the musicians. But first, a little word on my personal connection to the festival and the history of the location. Aharit Hayamim the band is the main act of the festival of the same name, and was a favorite of a group of us back at the old radio station. Therefore, when Yishai Fleischer came up with the idea for a compilation album promoting Aliyah, we wanted the band to be on it. Yishai and I sat and listened to dozens of songs, and an Aharit Hayamim song was chosen to be the first track. 
The album was called Aliyah Revolution and was distributed to college campuses and Jewish student groups in Israel and America. Begun in the mid-1990s, the Acharit Hayamim Festival began as a tribute to Emil Leuchter, a musician who tragically passed away from cancer. His family and friends organized a memorial jam session every year, which eventually morphed into a full-blown festival. The location of Gush Etzion was chosen because the Leuchter family roots go back three generations to the pre-state days. Rachel Doron and her husband were residents of Masuot Yitzhak, one of the four kibbutzim in the Gush Etzion region in the 1940s. When the War of Independence started in 1948, the Jordanian Legion invaded, and the Dorones were among those Israelis taken prisoner. It was Rachel who operated the radio transmission to get the word out about their capture. They were released in a prisoner exchange deal. But the Gush Etzion region was to become part of Jordan until the Six-Day War of 1967. The family was among the first to help repopulate the destroyed communities. I remember one year when Rachel Doron ascended the stage amid the young music fans in their colorful clothes to tell her story as they chanted Safta, Safta, Hebrew for grandmother. Rachel Doron passed away this year at the age of 97. Her grandchildren continue to live in the region. This year, I had the opportunity to interview Yossi Fine, a prolific Israeli musician who has performed with David Bowie, Ofra Haza, Lou Reed, and Stanley Jordan, who was nominated for a Grammy Award for one of Yossi Fine's compositions. I also had the chance to interview mainstays Nachman Solomon of the Solomon Brothers and Laser Lloyd, whose music is often used as the intro for the Yishai Fleischer Show, and new band Schlepping Naches. Okay, this is Yossi Fine. We're at the Acharit Hayamim Festival, and Yossi, an honor to meet you, and maybe you can tell us a little about what you're doing here and what you're going to perform. So first of all, it's, it's a lot of fun to be here. It's my first time here. In Acharit Ayamim. I'm joining the band Acharit Ayamim. We're going to do some songs of mine and some songs of Acharit Ayamim. And I love the collaboration because it's, it's always fun to have other musicians, you know, that come from a little different background than, than you. It creates a, another thing, which is not, even though it's some of my songs, but it sounds a little different because it's different people playing it and I'm loving it. Tell us about you and your latest album and your latest tour and what you're doing in, in your career now. All right. So, since the corona, I haven't put an album out even though it's ready because I wrote it throughout the corona. I have a few songs on the internet and we're going to do those on another album called Blue Desert. And Blue Desert music is really original music, like from the region. And it has all the influences that I grew up on and, you know, music that comes from Morocco, music that comes from, you know, all over Israel, Jewish flavors. And I even mix the language within my songs. Usually we have three languages in one, almost in one sentence. I'm always looking for words that are also in English, also in Arabic, and also in Hebrew. And it sometimes have different meaning, but 
I love that because I love to communicate with everybody. And I think music is about that. It breaks barriers of communication. I traveled all over the world and I didn't know the language, let's say India or China. But once you start playing, the barriers break and you know people start dancing or, or singing with you and they don't even know the lyrics. You know, but it moves people and I think music breaks a lot of barriers and it brings people more together. Like, for instance, just here, you know, the festival, it brings people together. Me playing with the Harita Yamim, it brings people, us, together, where if there was no music, I'm not sure we would have created something together, you know? Music is a gift and it's a gift that we got we got from Haboe to play in English a gift, Kisharon Bivrit, but a gift in English. And I think gift is even more true to what it is because it's truly a gift. Laser Lloyd, I'm here to rock with my favorite band around the world, the Solomon Brothers. It's family, it's friends, it's a good time. Nachman Solomon of the Solomon Brothers. Just looking forward to rock with my favorite artist of all times, Worldwide Laser Lloyd. Okay, and the Aharit Hayamim Festival feels a little like a reunion because you guys have been here multiple years and you're back once again this year and maybe you could describe the vibe or the feeling. Yeah, well, the Solomon Brothers, you know, the whole Moshe vibe, this is what built this whole thing here, like the people on the Moshe and the Shlomo Kalibach Festival, this is like a bigger morphing during the summertime. So the Simon Brothers really and the whole, their Abba and all those people built this whole vibe here with this music that's, you know, holy and rocking all at the same time, very welcoming and out in the woods. It feels like it was in the Moshav. So I'm just very blessed to have been a part of it. Since 2009 was my first time with the Yudben and just psyched to be back playing with the Simon Brothers together. And tell us a little about you and your latest musical ventures and what you're doing and touring and everything. Yes, I'm leaving for on Sunday for tour in America. Just been trying to spread the wellsprings of Israel. I was just speaking to all the Solomon brothers. It's very hard these days. I'm, I'm playing in multiple festivals that are not specifically Jewish, and the whole Israel issue has been very hard over the years. So we're trying to just bring the vibe of Israel undercover to just give people the love and the music. To, to build bridges, and that's what we've been doing. Tell us a little about the Solomon Brothers and and who you guys are and how you ended up becoming musicians. We are the sons of Ben Sion Solomon of the Diaspora Shiva Band. And we are the youngest brothers out of uh, eight. There's Moshav Band and Soul Farm, and then there's the Solomon Brothers. Did I mention we're playing with our favorite artist, Laser Lloyd, tonight? And it's uh, just exciting to be here. I don't know that my family has much to do with what happened over here. But <laughs> they taught people how to be holy and cool, get together in the good things about the hippies of being in the nature. Without that, there would never be this, what's going on. These type of festivals would never be like this in Israel. Never would have happened. So he, he doesn't know because he's young, but those people who know that his parents, when they help Ben knows I'm not so young. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about music or today's scene or the festival? 
You know, it's a really great example because here you have all sides of people. And really today there's a lot of uh, conflict within the society in Israel and there's so much to contribute. If people would actually, we have to find a way to get this type of scene in the middle of Tel Aviv so that people would see really the deep vibe of what this community has to offer all these people coming from, you know, the Gush and from Shamron and everything. There's so much more that the Israeli general Israeli public is not exposed to. So I would just say that people like you and all the media have to do your jobs to get out and let the rest of Israel see what the real vibe is of the majority of the people who are on the front lines of keeping Israel safe living in uh, Yehud and Shamron. My name is Avram David. I'm the drummer for the band Schlepping Nachas. Yedidia. And I play guitar and sometimes bass and sing vocals sometimes. And why is your name Schlepping Nachas? Well, because we started out playing on the streets just like simple schleppers. It was just apropos to what we were just jamming on the streets, schlepping nachas. And what do you think about the future of Jewish music? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have an album, but you have some YouTube videos with over 10,000, 20,000 views on it. So I'm just thinking about the future of music in general and, and Jewish music. I've been a little vocal about this to like people, and I feel Israel has something great going on. There's a really unique fusion of musicians being able to make like a Parnassa through original music because there's venues that a wide range of people can come and a musician has like a viable income option that makes it sustainable for someone to go into the music world. As opposed to, I feel, the American music scene, the Jewish, like, Heimish, you know, I guess you would call it Haredi kind of scene, they are more focused on singers, like as the individual singer, and not so much bands writing as a band. And one of the things that I think happens because of that is that you don't have, like, a healthy competition like a, what they call kinesochrim, like very healthy, everyone pushing themselves to like be good, like really good, so not to fall behind. And I feel that in America, it doesn't have that fusion that Israel is able to sort of materialize where you can be a yeshiva guy and go into a bar and feel totally comfortable rocking your tzitzis, yarmulke, drinking beers with anyone and everyone that's there. And it's totally... A very comfortable situation for that world so like it allows a musician to, to have concerts because people will come great as opposed to in America they feel the main issue is that they haven't figured out how to create these venues which will then allow bands to jump into the music scene because then they can make a parnasa off of it and therefore someone who might have amazing creative music that can really expand the Jewish music world might not go into it because it's just not he can't support his family that way it's definitely opening up there's some definitely some really cool creative music that's happening right now playing in the background is the Salman Brothers with Laser Lloyd so first and foremost I would love to be there but also definitely the Salman Brothers along with the Moshe band have definitely 
paved a pathway, along with Achat Yamanbend, of taking, let's say, what David Melech wrote and bringing it to modern day with some of their own, you know, influences, and just bringing Judaism to life in a way that's, you know, palpable for today's generation. And very blessed to be part of that surge, and uh, very blessed to be here. Stay true to what you believe in, and that'll keep you going through the journey. This has been a moment in Jewish history. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners, and Shalom. Okay, Ben, thank you very much for giving us that energy uh, from the land of Israel. That's the music of the land, right? There's the Torah of the land, there's the music of the land. <clears throat> After all this excitement, I can't, uh, I can't tell you how hungry I am, and I'd love to have a little bit of Prohibition Pickle. ProhibitionPickle.co.il will make your, uh, uh, make your stomachs full with delightful holiness of, of, of food and tastes. Uh, so it's, it's both holiness and taste in a food. It's a package of awesomeness delivered to you with great style as well, prohibitionpickle.co.il. And of course, uh, who would walk around without a cool watch? I walk around with my cool watch, retrowatchguy.com, now from the land of Israel, retrowatchguy.com. Very good. Um, okay, um, I sat down with uh, one of my favorite people, Yunon Kahati. You know, his full name is Yunon Dan Kahati. Great intellectual, great Hebrew intellectual, but really pulls it off in English as well. He sat me down together with Fleur Hassan at the Arut Sheva Studios, uh, and we recorded this very interesting, I promise you, very interesting conversation. So here's a, a really mm, an understanding about one of the main issues that I deal with, which is the narrative war and how the psychology of our regional uh, friends and enemies and combatants uh, 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 really work in order to understand these things better and in order to have better foreign policy. So check out uh, my discussion here with uh, with Inon uh, Dan Kahati and Deputy Mayor of Jerusalem, Fleur Hassan. I have the great honor to host here two of the most finest public speakers in Israel doing superior, super important work fighting against anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, representing the Jewish people in the media and representing also two of the most important Jewish cities in the land of Israel, Fleur Hassan Achum, the Deputy Mayor of Yerushalayim, and Ishai Fleischer, the international spokesperson of the Jewish community in Hebron. Thank you very much, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for being here. It's a great honor to have you here. And um, so let's get to it. What are the main challenges you are facing while representing Israel in the media, and how do you overcome them? Flair with Vakasha, please. So wonderful to be here on your show and with my friend and colleague here, Ishai. So I think the main problem that we have in the media is the misinformation and the fake news. Um, that coupled with ignorance of the history of this country, the history of our people, the connection of our people to this land for over 3,000 years. So I think we're battling a very serious problem, which is a combination of complete ignorance and fake news. Uh, and one, of, of course, feeds the other. But we have fake news because nobody actually knows what the history of this land is for the last few thousand years. And what we're fighting with is a trend in America to somehow sanctify victimhood. And the victim is always right. It doesn't matter if they're right or they're not. It doesn't matter. 
And Israel, until 1967, in the mainstream media, of course, this was way, days way before social media. Um, but before 1967, Israel was the little country that could. Was and David. Was David. And, and the region was Goliath, of course. There had been three wars started against us, existential wars. And, and so everybody was in our favor. After 1967, after uh, the Six-Day War, the whole thing flipped. And all of a sudden, people's view became much narrower. And rather than seeing the region, they saw Israel and they saw uh, the Palestinians. Rather than zooming out and seeing Israel as, you know, a very small, brave country in a very rough region. And social media has just intensified this kind of victimhood of the Palestinians, which, of course, they perpetuate themselves. Um, and the whole uh, international apparatus and community perpetuate their victimhood, which is a really bad thing for them, I believe, because the whole world has taken away agency from the Palestinian leadership, mm. which to me is actually the real racism and bigotry. So what we are dealing with, essentially, to wrap up, is fake news, ignorance, and the, the, the two-second soundbite. And, and looking in the mirror to ourselves, and I always look in the mirror, that's what women do, we look in the mirror and I see that our problem is that we haven't figured out a real strategy. We are not taking it seriously enough. By we, I mean the government and all the different ministries. We have five different ministries dealing with different uh, types of asbara. We don't have, you know, you would never go into a war without a central command, right? Strategy. Without a mate, without a central command, without a strategy, and everybody else, soldiers of that strategy. When it comes to public diplomacy, when it comes to fighting the, 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 the public um, battle on the pre in the press, in the social media, we do not have strategy. And then it's left to people like Ishai and myself doing the best that we can with lots of other wonderful people, fighting uh, a very kind of defensive battle instead of coming up with an offensive strategy. Ishai, what is your take about this issue? First thing I want to tell you, thank you, Yunon, and congratulations on your new program. And it's great to sit with Fleur. I, I have tremendous respect for what she does. And also, also everything she said was, was right on. I want to say one more thing, though. For me to be at Arush Seva Studios, Israel National News Studios, is very, it's a very personal thing for me because when I was living in America in 2003, um, the folks at Arush Sheva gave me a job. They only asked me to move to Beit El. That was the deal. They said, <laughs> move to Beit El. I didn't even know what Beit El was. And uh, so they were my first job. I worked there for seven. I worked here in this company for seven years. Wow! Uh, and so I owe a lot to this organization that not only does great work in news, uh, but also helps Jews come to the land of Israel by giving them a job. So that's that's number one. Uh, with regarding to your question, everything she said is right. Spot uh, on, I must say. That's right. Um, there are a few uh, classic anti-Semitic tropes that have come back. Uh, we saw it recently with the question that was asked by the BBC uh, to former Prime Minister Bennett. You know, does the Israeli army enjoy killing Palestinians? What is that? There's one word for that. That's mm -hmm. called blood libel. Mm -hmm. It's called blood libel. Absolutely. Jews want to kill. They, want, they like to kill. They want to kill. Babies. Babies, children. It's, it's just a classic. It's some kind of old trope and it's back. In, mm -hmm. Inflammating uh, in, the, in the emotions. Something That's right. very, very uh, emotional. Right. And, and also then justifying what people really want. The blood libraries, what they really want is to take Jewish blood. So what they're doing is they're delegitimizing the Jews, demonizing the Jews, and therefore justifying the jihad and attacks against them as now human rights 
uh, as freedom fighting. So that's, that's number one. Old anti-Semitism is back. And on my Twitter, you could see it every single day. I mean, hardcore. If, if a soldier dies, he was a settler. He's an Israeli colonizer. He deserved it. That's, that's day in, day out. So old anti-Semitism is back. It's back and it's strong. That's number one. Number two is that certain lies uh, have now become staples. The number one lie of them all is occupation. That's the number one lie. And sadly, the state of Israel itself added, added uh, fuel to that lie because uh, we ourselves pulled out of certain parts of, of our ancestral homeland and created a Palestinian authority to rule it. But that really helped create the consciousness that we are foreigners in this country, that we are white colonialists. So you're a white colonialist, you're doing occupation, and that occupation is an apartheid. Those three things... Uh, is part of the line. Not that we're a Middle East people. I'm sitting next to two Sephardic Jews as well, right? I also have uh, uh, Sephardic blood. You're Yemenite. You're Yemenite. That's right. That's right. That's right. I'm just saying the fact that we're Middle East people, that's the bottom line. True. Has been erased. Um, now that we're occupying Judea, uh, as I think I wrote on, on, on Twitter just yesterday, somebody said to me, you know, um, I said to him, you know, Jude Judaism in Judea. And they said, you know, you can't do Kahanism in Palestine. And I said, there you go. It's either, Palestine, it's either Jew Jewish nationalism in Judea or Palestinian nationalism in Palestine. Which was it? And that's the narrative war that, that's out there. So the occupation uh, uh, narrative is very strong today. It's the number, everything feeds off of that. You're a white colonialist foreigner, you're in occupation, you're doing apartheid. And that, that's being fed by what Fleur also mentioned, which is the, the social media, which we have different names for, including Jihad's Barah or Instafada, and we have, we have all these terms for it. So those are, those are some of the things that, that are out there. And I'll say one more thing, which is we have another uh, phenomenon which is very problematic, and it's not easy to overcome today. Uh, modernity has also killed the Bible. Okay, uh, If you went to Harvard 200 years ago, you studied the Bible. And you may have studied it even in Hebrew. And if you learn the Bible, then Israel's the hero. Period. Okay, uh, If the Bible is dead, then a humongous footing of rationale of the Jewish people in the land of Israel is lost. A humongous footing. A narrative footing. If a lot of people read the Bible, for a lot of people Israel makes sense. If nobody's reading the Bible, it makes a lot less sense. And so you have a generation now that's very post-Holocaust, post-Six-Day War, post-Bible, and they really don't have exactly what to latch onto in a narrative sense in order to support Israel. And they're losing the roots. And they also <clears throat> to use the roots to legitimize our being here, which is coming from that roots. And if we cannot have the source, how can we justify our presence? That's right. And if Israel doesn't speak in the language of historical justice, of indigeneity, of the Bible if it doesn't feel comfortable, and it keeps on using terminology like Jewish and democratic, which is a fine term, but it really does not talk about the essence of our historical connection, our indigenous connection to this land. And then also when we don't act like indigenous folks, and we act like colonialist white interlopers uh, that are foreign to this land, then that also feeds the, the narrative, and, and, uh, and then we lack clarity and narrative footing, and then people outside of the land are just... They have an easier time connecting to a more familiar thing, which is you know, fighting white colonialism. 100%. I mean, look, look what we do when uh, every foreign president or prime minister comes to Israel. 
Where do they take that person? They take them to Yad Vashem and Har Herzl. What's the message? We're here because we were killed in the Holocaust. That's the message. I've been trying for the last few years <clears throat> to open, uh, to build an international museum of Jews from Arab lands. Why? Because that story has been lost. And you and I know that. The story of the fact that Jews have been around here for thousands and thousands of years, Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Yemen, how they even got to Africa through Yemen. Um, there's so many wonderful stories of us in this land for 3,000 years, but that's not the message that even our own leaders right. bring out to the world. So what do you expect when we don't have that message? Well, how do you expect people to actually receive that message? Nobody's actually talking about it. Nobody emphasized that. Well, so, we don't have it in our national institutions. Why don't we have an international museum in Jerusalem about the Sephardi story? Right. Why? So, so, so that's one museum. I was in Washington, D.C., and I went and visited Museum of the Bible mm -hmm. uh, on the mall in Washington, D.C. This is a $1 billion building. Okay. And you come out of there just having experienced the Bible and having been impressed by the Bible and, and actually falling in love with the Bible, with the Tanakh. Uh, it's a Christian museum, but it's got, a, it's got a, what they call the Old Testament, what we call the Torah and the Tanakh. Uh, but I cried there two times. One, because I don't remember something just moved me the way it was presented. And the other time when I realized that we have nothing like that in Jerusalem and in Israel. We have a few museums that are supposedly you know, Bible museums, but they're not. They're just, they're just, they just don't, they don't, they don't, you don't, you're not touched and moved by it. It's just a collection of stuff. But um, um, we do not promote it. I'll give you another example. You've been to Australia? Have you ever been to Australia? No. Okay, have you been to Australia? No. Nope. Okay, you land in Australia, in Sydney or Melbourne. Immediately, you know, I actually landed in Perth one time. You know immediately that you're in Australia. Because the airport says to you, kangaroo, didgeridoo, boomerang, whatever. All the stuff that you know of as Australia. If I told you, give me five words that describe Australia, you would tell me these words. You meet it at the airport. Okay? You get to Texas, you land in Texas, you're like, oh, I'm in Texas. There's hats, there's lassoes, there's boots, you know, there's the whole thing. You're like, okay, I'm in Texas. When you land, I just recently landed in nice, great places like Cleveland and New Jersey. You're not quite sure because these places don't have a strong brand, brand or character. Right. Yeah. Right, they're, they're nice places, they're great places. Great places. Good, good, I'm, I'm not dissing anybody, but you're not sure where you landed. When you land in Israel, it's like that. You're not sure where you landed. You're not exactly sure. You landed in some country, in some kind of, maybe it's a European country of some, maybe it's Liechtenstein, I don't know where. You know, and it doesn't say to you, hey, you've landed in the land of the Bible, etc. I'm not just saying it should be only that, but there's, there's other brands. But you've got to stake out your claim. And one of the things is about Israel in general is that it, is, um, it needs to decide on more clarity. Clarity of messaging, clarity, strategy. maybe we'll talk about strategy, with, with more defined clarity. Yeah. And more 100%. defined character. We, we, we have the best Hollywood producers, directors, the best media people in the world, the best PR people in the world, you know, are Jews. You don't think we can get them together and come up with a strategy? I've been, you know, this is what eats me up. I think, I think we have a lot of different um, parts of our personality, and sometimes we just can't decide which one comes first. Yeah, and sometimes we're a little bit embarrassed also about some stuff. Um, we have a, an incredible story here. Our people have an incredible story. It's, I don't think there's any people in the world that in fact went through what we went through and have solved every single refugee crisis that we've ever had. 
And so um, I just wish, and I always say this to younger people that I speak to, I said, you know, I'm not saying you can't criticize Israel, but criticize Israel, which is the way I tell my children, when you're in the house, you want to fight, you fight with your siblings. When you're out of the house, that's your sibling. And you don't side with the person against your sibling just because you have a broigus with them. Yeah. And I say this to kids all the time who come here. We're your family. The least you could do, the very least you could do for your family is give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. That's all I ask. And that actually seems to resonate. When people understand that we're family, it kind of uh, changes the switch. That's a, that's a great point. And uh, another way to know that it's your family is to visit your family. Uh, I happen to represent a town that in its heart is the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs. And what Flora said before, that they take people to uh, the Holocaust Museum, the Yad Vashem, close, to, close by to these studios here. Uh, they should take them first to the founders of our peoplehood. Absolutely. And, and, and you're like, there's something moving about it all. And oh, it's beautiful. And Ariel Sharon, at the end of his life, um, interviewed for Shavit. Ari Shavit? Yes. Ari Shavit. Yeah. Ari Shavit. Ari Shavit. And he, and he said to him, uh, and this was in The Atlantic, you could find it online, he said to him, I made a mistake in my career that I focused too much on security, where I should have focused on the Jewish narrative. And he says, I took too many people to show them military uh, constraints that we have. I should have taken them to the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs. Which is um, such an amazing place. Honestly, you, it, it's not visited enough. Yeah. And it's not a must-stop on the tour, and it should be. 100%. I yeah. agree. By the way, you're doing an amazing job representing the Jewish, the Jewish story, the deep Jewish story. Mm -hmm. To the diaspora and from Hebron, like you said, from the roots, and uh, it's it's amazing. It's a big schut. It's a big honor to to work for the forefathers and mothers, mm -hmm. and for Jerusalem. That's a big honor, huh? <laughs> that's a dream job. I always, you know, my I always tell my story is King David, you know, created Jerusalem and created Jerusalem in order to unite all the tribes because he wanted one place that was neutral. But King David was the king of Judea, so Hebron was his capital. But he was such a smart politician that he moved the capital in order to unite. Mm -hmm. And so Jerusalem is a place of unity. And that's the message I try to portray from the king of his town right. who created my town. Right. <laughs> he, he actually was crowned king of all of Israel yes. in Hebron. Yes. But they he, went there and then but, he moved immediately. But how smart was he? Yeah, very smart. How very smart, smart was he as a politician? Yeah. Think right. about that. Sometimes people call it Jerusalem, D.C. Jerusalem, yes. David's capital. David's capital. That's right. Very good. That's right. All right. Tamariona told me that one. Yes. Yeah. So uh, moving on to the next question. Um, although there is a regression regarding the relations between Jews and Arabs in our land, do you think there is a chance for peace? And do you think that, uh, what do you think should be done in this issue? Well, look, I, I want to start from the Abraham Accords. Um, and when in 2021, I mean, the Abraham Accords was signed in uh, September of 2020. And we had a Gaza war in April of 2021. And I wrote an article then in the Jerusalem Post and I said, this is happening because things are going too well. What did I mean by that? All of a sudden, the region was saying, you know what, we're fed up of being held hostage by the Palestinians you know, being tran intransigent about making peace with Israel, about doing any type of arrangement with Israel. They've been giving the money for years, and they said enough is enough. We're going to now continue to take care of our region. And the second thing that was happening was that there was a, an Arab party in the government, which was also something new. 
And the third thing that was happening in Jerusalem, in my town, the Arabs uh, from East Jerusalem have been, they've been going through an Israelization process. Mm. I mean, when you walk around today in Jerusalem and you walked around 10 years ago, today you see a much more mixed public space. I'm not sure if you noticed that. Every single shop you go into, there's a mix of workers. It wasn't like that 10 years ago. 10 years ago in Jerusalem, people kind of kept to themselves. And today it's much more mixed. And so what I said in the article is that when things are going well, when there is a rapprochement, whether we like to believe it or not, there has to be a pushback from the radicals to say, hello, we're here. Don't forget that we're still in a conflict mm. because we were kind of almost forgetting that we were in a conflict because of the Abraham Accords, because of what's going on in Jerusalem in general. More young Arab men and women are going to universities and college in Jerusalem. Like I said, workers mixed everywhere. And so I reckon that there's two things going on. One is normalization and in some cases under the radar normalization. Lots of connections really between Israelis and Palestinians that you don't hear about, you don't know about. I see in East Jerusalem businesses, we're now opening a high-tech park hopefully in the next few years. Much, many more um, young Arab men and women in engineering positions in the city. All this is going on. The Abraham Accords is going on and the radicals do not want this to happen. They don't want it to be good for their and people. I want to strengthen what you say. We mostly see and we hear what creates attention, which is the acts of the extremists and the violence. Oh, that definitely hear, always makes attention. Right. We don't hear about the good stuff. Never. The, 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 the progression that uh, comes with their Israelization and all that. That's not news, you see. That's not news. When a, when a dog bites a man, it's not news. When a man bites a dog, it's news. <laughs> That's right. What is um, your point, Ishai? First thing is, there's not... Uh, for, the, the word peace is a problematic word. I, I, I don't I like agree. that. I don't like that word because it's been hijacked. I like to I say agree. peace yes. is a four-letter word. It's a joke. You know, it's a... Uh, it's been hijacked. It means something else. Peace means that Jews have to give up their land uh, and do stupid things that will empower the jihad instead of being smart. So I don't use the word peace. I use the word cooperation or regional realignment. Shared society. Shared, there's a million things you could say. Yeah. You know, a better Middle East. Abraham Accords is a fabulous word. Mm -hmm. Fabulous word. <clears throat> I actually wrote an article about why itself, it's why Abraham Accords is such an important word, because it is the contra to the claim that we're foreigners. Exactly. That we're occupiers. The minute you say Abraham, we're Abraham, we're from Something here. more rooted. Right. Look, Israel is never going to get, but let's use the word peace for the conversation. Israel is never going to get peace unless it decides to crack down on the jihad. Jihadism is a thing that attacks the Jews, but even more so it attacks Arabs. <clears throat> it suppresses them. It oppresses them. This week, um, the government realized that the PA is starting to become defunded and falling apart, so they ran to try to find ways to, to, to prop it up. Prop up the PA. This is an anti-Semitic, jihadist, and corrupt organization that sends, uh, sends killers to, to murder Jews, that, that, that brainwashes children. You cannot be upholding that kind of thing. You have to fight the jihad, not uphold the jihad. Uh, so that's, that's number one. And a jihad doesn't mean only catching the terrorist. It means drying up that swamp. By the way, jihad is illegal in Egypt. It's illegal in Saudi Arabia. It's illegal in the UAE. Yeah. Because they know the danger that jihad brings to Arabs, Absolutely. not to Jews. They know that this is a destabilizing force. So you, number one is you've got to crack down on the jihad. You've got to be that kind of country. Um, 100%. The next thing is 
and this, this Israel a lot of times refuses to do, which is, again, go back to clarity. What, what is allowed, what is not allowed in terms of indoctrination? Can you teach Islam? Yes. But can you teach jihadism? No. Make that clear. Make that uh, differentiation. Make that differentiation. Make and certainly don't fund it like right. we have in East Jerusalem. Right. And don't allow UNRWA to fund it. Don't do it. Just don't, just don't allow it. So clarity. The other thing is clarity of status. What is the status? Uh, and why is that important? Because, because it gives people a vision for what, what is their future. And it gives people understanding. And understanding breeds stability. Okay? So I was just recently with a very important public figure that everybody knows. I'm just not going to mention his name. And we sat down with Sheikh Ashraf Jabri. And, uh, and so this important person presents to Ashraf Jabri all kinds of fancy plans that I'm sure are going to be discussed in the show one day soon. And, and Ashraf Jabri, the Sheikh in Hebron, says to him, yeah, it's a little too complex. What we really want is residency. That's what we really want. We want residency within Israel. We understand that citizenship will endanger the Israeli democracy. We don't want to scare you guys. We don't want to do that. What we want, we are non-jihadist Arabs. We want to live in your society, and, and we want to be residents. So the important guy says to Ashraf Jabri, says to him, but, uh, but the Europeans are going to say it's apartheid. So Ashraf Jabri says to the important guy, he says to him, who cares what the Europeans say? <laughs> so you got this Arab trying to explain to this Jew how not to pay attention. Uh, finally, um, the, the last point. Uh, so we that, said that's, that's such an absurd, I must say. It, but it's, such it absurd. happens all the time. It happens all the time, exactly. All the time. Exactly. It, you know, in Jerusalem, how many conversations I have with residents of East Jerusalem who say to me, listen, if there's ever a division here, we're on your side all the time because they understand that right. salvation is not coming That's right. from a corrupt regime keeping its own people down to enrich themselves to line their own pockets I agree they that. know there's no good faith in that leadership they know that they're not stupid I agree That's right. and want to strengthen what you said you know the Europeans and the Americans also want to tell us what is good for us more than what we know for ourselves and right. also for the Arabs and, and I mean who with God you know, God bless America God you know we respect America but a country that has 600 people murder a year just in inner city Chicago, just in one little town, have a way higher death rate than our whole situation here. It's like, I'm not sure you're in the position to give such great advice. Show me that you know how to deal with yeah, your problems. I'm going to say one last thing here. Maybe it's a bigger philosophical thing. Maybe this is something we could open up to discussion. I feel that Israel is oftentimes going back to being a ghetto minded country, a small country. I believe Israel should be bigger in the region, physically bigger, yeah, certainly in its heart, Judea and Samaria. Uh, and, and, you know, I think we should try to buy back the Sinai and control it. And I'm talking about a bigger Israel. Why? Because a bigger Israel is a force of stability in this region. It cracks down on the jihad. It patrols the sea lanes. It pushes back on Iran. And it certainly subdues jihadism inside. Now, when you constantly want to be small and you're trying to give away land for peace and you're always defensive with your iron domes and all your kind of stuff like that, it basically, when you speak to jihadist-type Arabs, they say to you, you guys are shrinking. You're shrinking. They say to me, you left the Sinai, you left South Lebanon, you left Judea and Samaria, you left Gaza, you left the Temple Mount, and you guys are shrinking. All we have to do is with time, we'll defeat you. And I must add... They don't take away from their politics their Quran. Right, no. We, we, we don't take our aspirations from our Torah. Right. We kind of make uh, this uh, total uh, separation between our roots and our legacy and uh, heritage. 
not to bring it into politics, but in the holistic way, we we, we are more we are more similar to the Muslims than to the Christians. In this uh, I think that to strengthen Ishai's point. Yeah, you agree with that? I was wondering if, if I, I'll tell you what I agree yeah. with from what you, which is I think the essence of what you're saying. People respect people who respect themselves. Mm -hmm. And you know, the first time I went to Dubai, they said to me, "Don't go." You're the deputy mayor of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's sensitive. Nobody's going to meet with you. What? They rolled out the red carpet because I go with my head held high that I'm representing the most special city in the planet. And a strong country. And a strong country. Yeah. And people respond to that. A strong and I think military, in, in strong economy. In my own Safari upbringing. And representative with strength. Yeah. Yes. With apology. No, no apology. Absolutely. Look what we've built. Um, and we're here and we have always outstretched our hands, our arms to peace. I can say that with faith and pride. Whoever doesn't want peace with us, their choice. We have always outstretched our hand in peace. And the result is that Egypt and Jordan and now the Gulf countries and hopefully, please God, more Gulf countries. And we tried with the Palestinians. People, again, forget that we've tried three times, um, four times. But before peace, though, the UAE also respects us because we're a strong military, always. strong economy. Always. That's what it's first based it's on. It's Jabotinsky's uh, philosophy of That's the right. Iron Wall. Right. You build yourself. So, and it's Bibi's philosophy in, in, a, in a lot of ways. You, us people, don't make peace with the weak. That's right. They make peace with the strong. And I must say also that when you speak in the media, the public media, Al Jazeera, and you speak with strength, that's hundred like hundred times better than someone that tried to apologize that uh, we didn't mean to uh, use violence when we are being attacked. Oh, you cannot be. First of all, we've got nothing to apologize for. We're a wonderful country. We built it with one hand whilst we were fighting people who wanted to destroy us with the other. We have nobody in history has done what we've managed to do. So only pride. Are we Baruch perfect? Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Yeah. Thanks to God. Are we perfect? Nobody's perfect. Do we things? Could we do things better? Absolutely. Ishai and I could give you <laughs> plans of making things better. But ultimately, we have to be very proud of who we are as a people and as a country and as a modern country and as a modern economy. And that. And if you go out there with that outlook, people respect you more, especially the Arab world. Right. Sure. And and they and they need a light around here, and we are their Semitic brothers, and and we have we have a good country going here, and we have a, now a Semitic alliance. So in order to get that Semitic alliance to, to keep going, you have to subdue the jihad. Find people who are Abrahamic. And, and by the way, just, just a little thing about the Abraham Accords. I was thinking we should stop saying the Middle East. Let's call, the, let's call it the Abrahamic region. You yes, but, but a lot of people can say that they're Abrahamic region. No, the Abrahamic region is the is region the, the that promised that Abraham, to, was promised by God. True, yeah. that's a great one, idea. One, uh, one minute before we go to the next question, I just uh, also want to add to what you said, is that we, need, we, we must make a strategy to differentiate between Islam and anti-Zionist Islam. Right. I think that or, or jihadism. Or jihadism. Yeah. I, I use that word jihadism a lot, and I try to teach it to people. We don't have a war with the Arabs, and certainly not with the Muslims. Exactly. Uh, and it's a big mistake to put them together. By the way, here in Israel, there are many, there are so many Israeli Arabs slash Palestinians that don't want Palestinianism or jihadism or anti-Israelism, they see Israel as staying here. By the way, some of them see it religiously that way. Mm. They also believe that the Quran says that the Jewish people will be back. There's different, there's different varieties, but, but the point is, is that we should bring them in and push the bad guys out. And, and for that, we need to be strong and we need to radiate it from, 
from inside out. Clarity and strength. Clarity and strength. Alright. Um, let's move on to the last questions, but last question, but before we do that, you want to say something about the Christians, right? Or to make a No, I was just going to say that um, to Shai's point earlier about the fact and your point that we're disconnected from the Bible, the people who are very connected to the Bible today in the Western world and other countries are the evangelical Christians. And when we see the support that we get from the evangelical Christian community politically and in other ways, it's because they're very connected to the Bible. And, um, and I'm very sad to see uh, some elements of Israeli society disrespecting or harassing Christians in the old city or outside. You know, they're, they're, if there's a small problem of Christians trying to missionize, it's not the majority of Christians. And I feel that there's a lot of ignorance around Christians. And as somebody who receives many Christian groups, as, as do you, um, we see their support is so important. And if you're going to point to any one element why the embassy, the American embassy, moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, is because of Mike Pence and uh, Pastor Hagee and all the, the Christian lobby behind that move. That was 18 years in the making, but it took Pence to, to, to get Trump to do it. And so I, I, I call on our Jewish brothers and sisters um, to always err on the side of respecting other people uh, rather than assuming that everybody wants to kill us, convert us or whatever it is. I understand that there's paranoia because we've had history, but ultimately today we're a strong country and the majority of Christians, certainly the ones that I know and I work with, want to just simply support us. Well, to that point, um, I will agree and disagree. I will, I will 100% agree that first thing, there should be law in the streets yeah. and people should not be spat on or attacked. That's not, you know, whoever they are, uh, there should be law in the streets. That's number one. Uh, number two is that there are indeed lovers of the Bible throughout the world who love Israel because of the stories of the Bible. And the Balfour Declaration and the San Remo Accords and the Mandate for Palestine all came through lovers uh, yeah. uh, of the Bible. Uh, at the same time, the Christian world is very big. Uh, parts of the Christian world are anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, there's a lot of anti-Semitism. In the Catholic Church, a lot of anti-Semitism. There's a lot of anti-Semitism in Jerusalem that is fueled and supported by various churches. Uh, and again, it comes back to clarity. Anti-missionary laws are laws in the books in Israel, but they are sometimes not enforced. Enforce them, and people will know that they and their children are safe from, from missionary work. You'll, you won't see as much uh, 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 you know, illegal uh, harassment. I'm not, um, sure that that's, I'm not sure that that'll stop the harassment. Um, you see more. Uh, let me give another example. If you cut out the funding that goes through some churches to some of the most anti-Israel groups in the country, that also give people a sense that they're not under attack. I'm saying like this. I'm saying I'm in agreement with you 100% in terms of law and order and behavior. I agree with you that there's lots of Bible lovers throughout the world that are part of our story. And it's not that they give us support. That's our mission in life, is to send the story of the Bible and of the love of, of Abraham and the way towards God. That's part of our mission. And the support is, is welcomed. Of course, you're right about the Jerusalem embassy. Um, but at the same time, Israel's got to crack down against elements that use the veil of religion to actually sneak in anti-Semitism. Last question. What do the Jews in the diaspora need to know about what's happening right now in Israel? And what is your message to them? Um, well, look, I think a lot of people are confused. 
when they look at Israel. Um, and seeing the protests and seeing the very, um, I guess, uh, interesting and intense internal argument that we're having. Um, I think that uh, part of our problem, and when I say our problem, I mean, the, I guess, the right-leaning uh, uh, people in this country have not done a good enough job of explaining to the world why it is that we need some judicial reforms. What is it? What is it that we're trying to fix, and why is it actually about more democracy and not less democracy? And I think that's on us. I don't think. I think the only people speaking to the diaspora have been the people on the left and the opposition, who are, of course, using this cynically politically because most of the people in the opposition spoke about judicial reforms for many, many years. So everybody's politicizing um, their their stance. Um, but what I want. Uh, the diaspora to take with, is this. How many countries can have such an intense internal debate with really not a lot of violence, with no looting, Baruch with Hashem. no... Baruch Hashem, yet, but, Baruch it, but it Hashem. says something about our people, our right to protest, and how it is that we actually do things here. And I think that's something, I agree with the president and even Netanyahu said it, I think that's something to be proud of, that we have a very lively, dynamic democracy. The Jewish people, it's not like we have a history of not disagreeing. We've always disagreed. We've always had internal arguments, but we have to be very careful. Like in the times of uh, the Romans, when Jewish people went out and said to the Romans, come mm. in and destroy this guy because I can't stand him. I say to people, and this is what I said earlier, we can have a, a great internal debate. We can fight. We can call each other names. Great the point. minute you go outside and you bring outside forces into our debate, that is where you've crossed the line. When I saw the video in a protest of the Prime Minister of Spain, I'm from Gibraltar, I'm like, what is this guy doing on a video talking about our protests and democracy? He's got his own problems. Spain is a lower country in the OECD than Israel that is only 75 years old. So deal with your own problems and don't get involved in ours. But I blame the people here for bringing outside influences to try and arbitrate a very internal issue that I believe, because I'm, a, I'm an optimist, that we will solve ourselves. Very strong words. I agree 100%. 100%. No. When I speak to young people, I just want to get across to them that it's all happening here. The excitement of the Jewish story is here in Israel. And I, I travel a lot to America and to other places. There's a, there's a word in Russian which is atstalia. It means like a little bit backwards, a little bit like not where it's happening. And I just, I'm just like, okay, you know, and these places are great. And I hang out in L.A. And I was just in Cleveland and in New York and, and Florida, of course. And, and it's fine. It's good. It's nice. But the action of life, the, that, that juicy apple of life is here in Israel. It's just 100%. being built. It's being built and you can be part of it. Now, a big mistake that happens in the diaspora, I sometimes, you know, will, will get in front of a more liberal audience. They'll start to ask me, but what about Palestinian this? What about Palestinian this? And it doesn't stop for like 30, 40 minutes. I'm just like, guys, fall in love with our story, yeah. with Zionism, with Israel, with the building of it. Why don't you ask me about how the kids are studying in Ashkelon, what the, what the food is in the supermarkets, what the healthcare system is like, what can we do better? Uh, and we can do things better. And I think that Jews coming from the diaspora and being part of the story, being part of it, you can make Aliyah, that's a big part. Buy an apartment is another part. 
Another thing is, take upon something for yourself in your life that brings you just one step closer. Like put a picture like this in, in your living room. Another thing that I recommend to everybody is Friday night wine from the land of Israel. Mm. And especially from Judea from Judea and Samaria. Samaria. Yeah. You know what I mean? But drink that <laughs> wine. When I was living with, uh, with my wife Malka in New York City, um, we would host. We, we still always host. And uh, we would bring out for, for dessert little shot glasses filled with water from Eretz Israel, And we would make a big thing about it. And people would drink that water. And if you just give them a, a story, people would just be like, wow, they were transported. It's um, so true. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a gin and vodka yes. distillery in Jerusalem. And they use the air. They use part of their thing is that they're using air water from a water gin which is taking the air from Israel and turning it into that's water, right. and they use it as part of their narrative. And they're that's doing right. very well. That's right, that's right, that's right. So, 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 so the action is here. Two more little things. Don't believe the hype, because the, there are professionals trying to hype up the anti-Israel narrative. Don't be a victim, and don't be a victim of terror. How, do you, how are you a victim of terror? The minute you say to yourself, ooh, I was going to go to Israel this summer, mm -hmm. but there's like a conflict. I don't know if I should go. You have been terrorized. Mm -hmm. Terrorism, here's the definition. Terrorism is the broadcasting of fear. Mm. If you've been made afraid, you've been terrorized by terrorists. Don't give it to them. Do not give it to them. Overcome. Do not give them that little thing. Get on that flight. Get on that LL flight or, or the other airlines. Get on and be, be here. Be part of it. Touch it. Breathe it. Love it. To sum it up, I want to also strengthen your words and to say that no Jew should be afraid to walk anywhere in the land of Israel. Anywhere. Amen. And especially in Jerusalem and especially in East Jerusalem. <laughs> and the good land, the land that, that God has given us, the land, the land that we are so blessed to be back in. It was, it was such an honor to host both of you. Thank and, you for having uh, us. That's all for now. It's, uh, again, was a great pleasure to have you here. Keep fighting the good fight for Israel. May you have a lot of success with everything that you do for Am Israel. Please follow Fler Hassan Nahum and Ishai Flasher on social media. And please follow also the home JLM on social media, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram especially. All right, folks, we're back here on the Yishai Fleischer Show. I want to thank Yochevet Seiben, Ben Bresky, Moshe Herman, Tabitha, and Lou when we're live for helping me get the show out to you wherever you are. It's a very special show this week. Um, and you had a lot of music. <clears throat> you know what real music is? The Torah is real music. There's nothing like the Torah itself. And the Torah this week is one of the Torah portions with the most amount of laws, uh, including laws against, prohibitions against idolatry, sorcery, uh, law, laws governing the appointment and behavior of a king, uh, the guidance, uh, guidelines for the creations of a city of refuge, uh, for inadvertent murder, murder, God forbid. Uh, there's rules of war, exemptions for war, for one who's just built a home, planted a vineyard, just got married, or is afraid or soft-hearted. Um, the requirement to offer terms of peace before attacking a city. The prohibition against wanton destruction of something of value. Exemplified by a law that forbids us to cut down a fruit tree <clears throat> when laying siege in a war. So, the Torah is out there really giving us a lot of parameters about how to live. So sometimes we say that life is this book, is that we get this life, but it doesn't have a, a guidebook or it doesn't have an instruction manual. But in many ways it does. And this week's Torah portion is full of instructions about how to do things right. And there's that famous statement, for a man is a tree of the field. And you got to compare yourself, you know. 
how can you be a tree of the field? How can you get the most out of the ground but not uh, but not deplete it? You know, how can you get energy from from the heavens uh, and and turn it into something useful? And how we don't cut down fruit trees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's so many more things that we can learn from that. The Torah is for us a guidebook, and this Torah portion of Mishpatim. Uh, is uh, is uh, so important. Excuse me, not mishpatim, shoftim, shoftim. Right? It's a, it's a similar word. And the first line is that you have to establish. Um, you actually have to establish um, uh, officers and courts at the gates of your city. And I once heard uh, the Hasidic interpretation of this phrase. Uh, the the phrase is in uh, Deuteronomy Dvarim. Chapter 16, verse 18. You shall set up judges and law enforcement officials for yourself in your cities that the Lord your God is giving to you for your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. So, so but I, I translated as in your cities, but the Hebrew word is bechol sha'arecha, in all your gates. And I heard a Hasidic interpretation, which is so important, so true, which is that the gates are your, the gates to your inner city are your eyes, your mouth, your nostrils and your ears. These are the gates into your mind. And so therefore, you have to establish officers of law in these places, even in your nostrils and in your, and in your mouth, certainly, and in your eyes, establish officers that will enforce proper judgment. This is a world where these senses are used against us to draw us into bad things. And so establish officers of, of law, making sure that you look at the right things and smell the right things and don't smell the wrong things. Don't go into that bakery and smell the food that you don't need to eat, okay? Whatever, whatever that food is. I'm not talking about dietary stuff now. I'm just saying establish for yourself uh, monitors to make sure that your eyes behold the good things and not the bad things. And that is, a, that is a, on the one hand, th- these laws are meant for what they say they're meant for, which is, you know, how to establish judgment in, in our cities and where we live, where we dwell. But there's also that inner city inside. We've got that keep that inner city peaceful. I want to thank everybody for being part of the show, and I want to thank Hashem so much for the opportunity to broadcast from the land of Israel, especially from this beautiful city of Hebron. Thank you, Hashem, for all the beautiful music uh, of, of the land of Israel, which uh, we got to bring to you uh, today. And thanks to all the folks, including Shimshon Nadel and Ben Bresky and Avram Fried and my friend Yudon Dan Kahati uh, and Flor Hassan for joining us on the show today. Lots of love and lots of blessings from the land of blessings. God bless you. Hashem should send the light in your life and you should feel it and turn to him and say, thank you for for showing yourself to me that I know that I'm on the right path and I'm part of the story of Israel, part of the Jewish people, part of that Torah and part of God's great dream for this world. God bless you folks wherever you are. Lots of love and shalom.